listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings to everyone wherever you're watching this from, or I perhaps I should say whenever you're watching this. I know we have a uh, we have two congregations. We have a live congregation, and then we have a con- congregation of people who catch it later on in the day. Um, we miss you. We love you. Uh, I think we're getting close to the end of this, and I'm hoping before the end of this month uh, we are able to come back together in some in some way, and uh, maybe maybe some uh, details involved in that. But uh, we miss you very much. Uh, I want to say to all of our mothers, as as my wife said, uh, Happy Mother's Day. You are you are the best of us, and. <clears throat> Without mothers, there would be no civilization. Have you ever thought about that? Because it's mothers who turn children from barbarians into find upstanding citizens. Uh, not their fathers. Their father could is just one bad decision away from being a kid himself. You know that's the truth. Don't act like you don't know it. You fathers out there are just one bad decision away from being right back to being a kid. Um, <laughs> but mothers are responsible for civilization. Um, you know, all of the histories we have, and there's a picture of, of great leaders and thinkers and philosophers and and, and we get it you know they they are great leaders do uh, shape the world in many ways but I think it would be interesting if we had the details on their mother and uh, so uh, our histories went something like this this is Abraham Lincoln Abraham Lincoln was an amazing president uh, he knew what real leadership was uh, he helped us through the darkest days of our history but if it wouldn't have been for his mom Abraham Lincoln would have been a disaster. Can you imagine what he was like? And then you start telling stories from his childhood and his mother was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you will too take a bath. You will too. Go brush your teeth. This is, this is uh, the truth. Uh, mothers uh, create this civilized society we are a part of. We just give them very little credit for it. But um, all right, let's move on. Uh, I am in lesson four today of this series I have been doing uh, called Blessed, or as we post in social media, hashtag blessed. We have been asking ourselves, what is the nature of divine blessing? I want to know. Uh, I don't want to just rush through uh, my faith. I don't want to just be satisfied with a form of godliness, a label of religion. I want to understand what the nature of divine blessing truly is truly is. And so we have been looking at the lives of the patriarchs and we are continuing that today. Week one, we talked uh, about the life of Abraham and we saw him as an individual in his society to whom God speaks. The word of the Lord comes to him. He doesn't know God. He doesn't even have a name or a title or a manner of address for God. He simply has the experience of a voice speaking to him and yet he finds within himself faith to believe the promises of God and that faith turns his life completely on a different pathway and God begins making for himself a people through the faith of Father Abraham. We tried to see blessing from the perspective of God. We know what was in blessing for Abraham. There's a laundry list of good things that God uh, promises to him. We know what's in it for Abraham, but there needs to be something in it for God. And that was week number one. Week number two, we uh, begin to see how a limited view of blessing 
can put us at each other's throats. And the teaching story of this in the Bible is the story of Jacob and Esau and how they believe that they can manipulate God through the blessing of their father. They believe that God is trapped by the, the traditions of the people around Abraham um, and, or, or around Isaac, I should say. Um, and the birthright will determine it. But we see God is not so easily deceived. And uh, we begin to ask ourselves, what was the nature of that blessing upon him? In week number three, we saw how God's blessing was not something to be imparted at the giving of a birthright. It was something to be given at the moment of transformation where God addresses Jacob in a contest of wills and as they wrestle and as they fight one with another and even after Jacob is defeated by the wound in his, in his hip, uh, he holds on to God and says, I will not go until you bless me. And you see the change of motivation. In the beginning, God had been holding on to Jacob, but in the end of the battle, Jacob is holding on to God and God changes his identity. He says, what is your name? And then when Jacob tells him, the Lord says, it's no longer going to be that. It's going to be Israel. You have prevailed with God and man. And the name Israel means God contends. And this image of his whole life, Jacob has been trying to fight his way to blessing. He cannot see it. But the truth is, while he has been fighting the whole world, God has been fighting with him, trying to change him and transform him. So now, in week number four, we're going to ask ourselves, uh, what, is, what, is, what is the result of transformation? After God has fought us to a standstill, and asked us who we think we are, and then told us we're not who we think we are. We are who he says we are, right? We see this moment of divine confrontation where the battle is not between what your brother thinks you are or who your uncle thinks you are, but who God says you are. This is the beginning of true transformation in the life of Jacob. And I want to take up the story right there and ask ourselves this question, are the lessons of blessing done once God has re- labeled Jacob. Once God has changed his identity, are the lessons of blessing done? Is transformation the end? Maybe it goes like this for Jacob from this day forward. It's going to be nothing but blessings and riches. How about you? If, if you've had a moment in your life where God has transformed you, or shall I say, begun the work of transformation in you, from that day forward, right, it's just been blessing and glory and faith to faith and a bank account to bank account. The troubles were over, right, and all the suffering was done, yes, and now you are on the east side, finally tasting a piece of the pie. That's been your experience, right? I'm hoping it's been yours because it certainly hasn't been mine. 
It's almost as though God's blessing is more complicated than the record keeping that is done through the flesh. You see, down here we keep count by how popular you are. We keep count by how much um, finances you have, shall we say. We keep count by your status in a hierarchy. We Keep count by who is winning the dominance battles. That's how we, we keep count down here. But uh, God's not really impressed with our version of blessing. Uh, you see, God's built a city where they use gold as asphalt. Do you see that? You see, God's not impressed with our riches because where he would place us, uh, they just use gold as paving material. It's just under your feet. It's not even important. Do you see? And while we are fighting for things that don't matter, God is trying to do something within us that does matter. If the example of the patriarchs is going to continue, we should see this in their lives. After transformation should not just come easy street and eating pie on the east side. In their lives should still come this process of God molding and making. That's exactly what you will see in the story of Jacob. And if you are suspecting there's a lot to learn here, you would be quite correct. So let's catch up where he is. Jacob has spent the night wrestling with an angel. Uh, he is limping now. He is exhausted. He is hollow-eyed and broken. And he struggles out of that place beside the brook that means a pouring out. And he slowly and painfully heads back to his household. He leads them to face uh, Esau. And there, having crossed over the brook, they wait for Esau and uh, this is where you think change will begin to happen, you see. God has changed Jacob's identity. And in the story, surely everyone will now call Jacob by his new name. Surely now the whole world will acknowledge that Jacob's had his name changed, right? Even those in the story, they're all going to, 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 to have an identity switch pertaining to Jacob but that's not what you find nobody in the story calls him Israel it's horrifying it, it's got to be disappointing God says I'm no longer a heel grabber God says I have uh, um, uh, the ability to prevail with God and men so surely uh, my people my family my friends will no longer call me the old me they will change their label of me to the new me the first lesson of transformation in your life is that it's not people who will validate it for you. I wish I could preach here today. You need to get this. It'll make you stronger. The people around you may or may not validate what God is doing in you, but do not let their opinion set your attitude. Do not let their criticism, their holding you to the old you, limit what God will do within you. Everyone in his life is still calling him Jacob, but in himself he's saying, no, I'm not Jacob. I am Israel. You see, the world knows you always by the person you have been, but God speaks over you, the person who you can become. And right now, many of you live in the tension between what your world says you are and who 
who God says you are. I'm here to tell you that very act of living a life by a faith is to be able, man, I wish I could preach this, to be able to reject what your critics say about you, what your family says about you, what your job says about you, what your past says about you, and say, no, I'm not limited by the old me. I have been given a promise by Almighty God, and I am going to live in the identity of who God says I am. Oh, praise God, somebody. And so he sees you as who you can be while your world, your surroundings will see you as who you are and who you have been. This is one of the acts of God's grace in your life. And so if you had expected all the paths to be easy from this day forward, you have much education in this story because uh, the greatest battle, the greatest fear, the greatest struggle in Jacob's life is on the other side of this transformation. The greatest pain, the greatest disappointment is on the other side of this transformation. If you had begun to believe that the enemy will stop fighting you once God has spoken over you, you need to learn something about spiritual warfare. Because the more transformation you experience, the more attention you will get from the enemy. And the more the attempts will be to limit you. Jacob's greatest trial is just on the other side of this transformation moment here he is exhausted and weary he meets Esau I'm going to read to you this passage it's in Genesis 33 and as always well here recently all of my notes are available on the website if you would like to follow along uh, mark them up take your own notes email them to yourself Genesis 33 and verse number three then Jacob crossed over before the, before them his family bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother Esau ran but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept they wept together interestingly Esau was not the problem Jacob was convinced Esau was the problem Jacob was convinced Esau was his greatest trial Jacob is convinced Esau's the one who wants to destroy him much to his problem much to his surprise Esau is not the problem that Jacob assumed he would be so it is in our life the things we think will hold us back are not actually the things that give us the great struggle of our faith. Esau lifted his eyes, saw the women and children, and said, Who are these with you? So Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given to your servant. Notice how Jacob is deferring to his brother. The maidservants came near, they and their children. <clears throat> Leah also came near with her children. They bowed down. Afterward, afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near. They bowed down. Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? And Jacob says, these are to find favor in your sight, my Lord. But Esau says to his brother, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Esau was not the problem Jacob expected him to be. It turns out, in spite of all the fear, 
In spite of all the guilt, in spite of all the pain, in spite of all the worry, Jacob was not the problem. And so the Bible says, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. Uh, He pitched his tent there outside the city. He even bought a parcel of land there where he pitched his tent and and encamped his his family uh, upon. And uh, there he built an altar to God. So if Esau's not the problem, what then is the problem? What follows is the ugliest story, one of the ugliest stories in all of the Old Testament. It is certainly, in my opinion, the ugliest story um, in the lives specifically of the patriarchs. And it's not the kind of story that preachers reference much. In fact, full disclosure, um, it is so ugly. uh, I think I've only heard it told in church one time. Um, And it's fairly extended, so I'm not going to go through the details of it today. I want you simply to see that on the other side of transformation is the greatest struggle of Jacob's life. And the struggle he thought was going to be his, his brother Esau, was not the problem. The problem is something much closer to home. I do not think it's an accident that this story of hatred and murder, betrayal and just just sheer ugliness is just on the other side of transformation. Uh, there's an important issue at stake here. I do not believe that God is surprised by this story. I don't believe that God is like, uh, whoopsie, <laughs> bad timing that. I, I don't believe that. Um, I think there's an important issue that is at stake here. I want you to hear it. Those of you who are <clears throat> questioning your value to the kingdom of God, I want you to hear this. Those of you who are wondering whether or not there is real ministry on the other side of brokenness, I want you to hear this. Those of you who are wondering whether or not uh, God can use you in spite of the, embarrass- the embarrassing interlude of your story, I want you to hear this. This is a fundamental, important, spiritually necessary element to uh, whether or not people can be used of God, and it happens just on the other side of transformation. I'm preaching to people today who have begun to wonder whether uh, their value is diminished in God's hands because of a circumstance in their life. I'm preaching to people today who have begun to wonder whether or not uh, their ability to be meaningfully used of God is limited because of struggle, disappointment, error, and embarrassment in their in their individual lives. I want you to know uh, God tells a story of a blessed man being transformed by a Uh, a demonstration of God's power and a manifestation of God's very nature and essence. Jacob at this wrestling match with an angel and just on the other side comes the ugliest story of the patriarchs. It is a story that starts with rape and from rape it leads to repentance and restitution. That should have been the end of the story but it's an extended story. It goes from rape, repentance, and restitution to fake forgiveness, real betrayal, and ultimately the murder of the innocent. 
what started with rape ends with genocide. And it is not Esau and the men of Esau who perpetrate this crime of genocide in their defense of honor, having been willing to lie, having been willing to reassure, having been willing to trick and betray, having destroyed their own honor, they pretend to defend it with murder. You see, the problem of evil was not something that was limited to the hand of Esau. The problem of evil is much closer to home. You see, it wasn't Esau's actions that nearly destroy Jacob. It is the actions of those in his own house. And when the sons of Jacob deceived their father, deceived the tribe from which this original um, act of, of, of horrible uh, action and transgression and sin happened, having deceived them all, having pretended to accepted restitution, and then having to murder them all in the name of the good, Jacob realized that evil was not in Esau's hand. It was much closer to home. It was in his own household. Evil is something we love to blame on others, but evil lives in our own household. We like to pretend that the serpent lives outside the garden, but no, the serpent is right in the middle of the garden. And you have to decide how you're going to respond to your own propensity and your own temptation to do that which is evil. Us religious people can't hide behind religion and pretend like we're not capable of everything that any sinner is capable of. One of the reasons why we ought to be a church that welcomes sinners is because if it was not for the mercy of God, we could be doing everything every one of those sinners is doing. We have within us the same capacity to serve the self, idolize the self, seek to please the self, and ultimately be imprisoned by the self. But God in his infinite love and mercy, he picked us up out of that pit and washed our sins and began to what? Wrestle with us. He began to contend with us. He began to say, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit which inhabits you will convict you. It's one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in your life to say, no, 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 no. Not that, that, that. How about this, this, this. Not more of that. How about more of this. It is one of the roles of God to draw, to convict. Yes, to transform. Yes, to cover. Yes, to forgive. And then to wrestle this. Keep your eyes here. Don't turn away from the call. Don't low rate the kingdom. Keep your heart fixed upon the things of God. Stay with me. Let me move along uh, in this story. Jacob says to his sons, this is his, his, what he says. Now remember, Jacob is horrified by what his own sons are capable of doing. Jacob had accepted repentance. Jacob had accepted restitution. Jacob had accepted uh, the marriage to make the whole thing right. Jacob thought the matter was over, but there was evil in his house, and his own sons uh, are worse than Esau. He's horrified. He's furious. He's distraught. Listen to Jacob's words. Jacob said, verse 30, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have ruined me. That's not accidental language. It's not like the writer's like, oh, how can we add drama to the story? No, that is emotion poured out. You have ruined me. Listen to what he says next. 
You've made me a stink among all the people of this land. Do you see? I just had an encounter with God. I just had my identity changed. I just had my name given to me by God. And this is how you greet the person I'm trying to be. This is how you show the world that we live. I'm not the old me. I don't want to be that person. You've made of me a stink. You have ruined me. On the other side of transformation is not all blessing, not all happiness. The battle continues. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. God does not stop wrestling with us. God does not give up on us. God does not abandon us. But God is committed to us, even in the ugly side of our story. What do we learn from this moment with Jacob sobbing and furious before his son, saying, his son saying, you have ruined me. You have made a stink of me of, of all the people in this land. I do not think it's an accident that this is the first story that we are told after the transformation experience of Jacob where his name is changed and so Jacob does only what you can do after embarrassment hear me those of you who are tempted to low rate who you can be in God because of something that happened hear me this is for you what do you do when you feel like your story has been forever changed forever limited forever in some manner compressed from what it could have been what do you do well you should do what Jacob does he goes back to Bethel Bethel is the house of God he leaves Shishim he says this this no we're going back to Bethel Bethel is where he first lay his head upon a stone and saw a ladder connecting heaven and earth and Bethel is where he first perceived ministering spirits moving between heaven and earth God says to Jacob go back to Bethel build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau so Jacob having been told what to do from God turns to his family and he, he, he has a new commandment so to speak for his family as the household of his family. He saw the potential that for evil, the potential for murder, the potential for betrayal that is in his own family and what does he say to them? He says this, verse 2 chapter 35 of the book of Genesis get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves and put on clean clothes. Why now? Why now? Why now Jacob are you laying down the the law on a family that needs to change why now are you saying we're not going to have any influence in this household except that from God we're not going to allow what the heathens would do to influence us anymore we're not going to allow what the deities would do we're not going to have one deity compete with another deity where you say oh well what would the God of war do or what would the God of love do no there is one God it is the Shema here O Israel the Lord our God is one you can't compete one God against another and come up with a answer whatever you want it to be no no there's only one who is good and you must bow and repent before him sons daughters get rid of all your idols we're going back to the house of God 
This is what you do after the big embarrassment, after the great big mess. When you think you're ruined, when you think your story is nothing but embarrassment, when you deeply dislike the person you've allowed yourself to become, this is what you do. Get rid of the junk. Go back to Bethel. The God you first met there is still waiting for you. Why now, Jacob? Well, they're ready now. That's why now. Um, it is, it is, it's crazy to think that people are ready to address everything wrong in their life all at once. Uh, that is crazy difficult and uh, crazy rare. Um, normally, people should try to take one step on the ladder that descends from heaven to earth rather than backing up and taking a running start and trying to jump to the top. Very difficult to do that. Uh, you just need to worry about something you can fix today. They were weren't ready, but now they're ready. And Jacob says, now we're about to change around here. Everything else is going. They go back to Bethel. They build an altar. God protects them. And what does God say to him here? Back in Bethel. Back in Bethel. What does God say to him? Verse 9, now Jacob had returned from Paddan Aram. God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, what does God say to him? Your your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? This is the same thing that the angel wrestled with him all night over. J uh, Jacob meets with God again after the embarrassment, after the failure, after the shame, meets with him again. Jacob builds an altar in the house of God, and God shows up again. Now he is no longer hidden in the form of a mighty man who would wrestle now. He is God at an altar. And he says, your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. For from now on, your name will be Israel. And the Bible says, so God renamed him Israel. What's the lesson here? The wrestling match isn't over. In fact, the wrestling match is between the old you and who God could make you. And this is a wrestling match that's going to go on and on and on. Your old friends are going to tell you you're the person you used to be. And in the quiet, God's going to say, no, 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 no. You are my child and I have a work for you to do. The wrestling match isn't between what other people say you are. It's between who you say you are and who God says you are. You might be influenced by the people who try to hold you in the old way. You might bear the weight of a family who tries to keep you in one particular mold. You might you may bear the frustration of people who won't let you change from the little boy who ran around the neighborhood. That's, that's part of the burden of life, and trust me, you do not carry it alone. It's common to uh, many, many, many individuals. That's not the point. The point is between who you think you are and who God says you are. Remember what Israel means. It means God strives and God strives with you. I want you to see how God is not going to give up on Jacob even when he has a setback. And so I want you to learn that God's not going to give up on you even when you have a setback. I want you to see how God doesn't give up on Jacob just because it's embarrassing. Because God's not going to give up on you just because it, things got 
embarrassing. I want you to see that he strives. God strives. And right now, wherever you're listening to this, I hope you feel the touch of God's presence. I hope you feel his arms around you. And I hope you feel the mighty man say to you, I'm not letting you go. There's only one thing to say back. Well, I'm not letting you go either. Bless me. Transform me. Use me. And God says, I'm not letting you go. And you say, I'm not letting you go either. The enemy comes in like a flood and tries to destroy. And God says, I'm not letting you go. And you say, I'm not letting you go. Someone says, oh, but it's getting ugly. Some bad things happen. Stuff got real. What are people saying? You know what God's saying? I'm not letting you go. You know what you should say? I'm not letting you go either. It is out of this that true transformation comes. And what Jacob learns, and I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. What Jacob learns is the power of identity. Hear me. Don't, don't, don't turn away. I, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else out of this, I want you to get this. What Jacob learns is the power of identity. This is the power of the word. This is shown to us from the very beginning where God speaks over the chaos and says, let there be light. This is why John defines the essence of the manifestation of God in the form of Jesus Christ as in the beginning was the word, the logos, that which is the spoken, the word, the identity, the communication, the logos of God. In the beginning was the word. This power of identity changes almost everything else in your life. Jacob has learned the power of identity. And I want to show this to you in one final story of this lesson four on blessed. They survive the tragedy of this horrible image here in chapters 34 and 35 of Genesis. The horrible, horrible story of betrayal and genocide. Now, they're back to transformation. They're back to Bethel. God speaking spiritual identity over Jacob. Your name is Jacob, but I'm naming you Israel. And from this time, they've lived quite a few years and Rachel is going to to die in childbirth. Now remember, Rachel is the love of Jacob's life. Jacob worked 14 years for Rachel's hand in marriage. And she is having one last child, a second son. She's only had one son up to now. That was Joseph. She's going to have a second son. You know him as Benjamin. But it's going to be a very, very difficult childbirth. And it's going to be so difficult that Rachel's going to die giving birth to this son. And the Bible tells us in verse 18, or excuse me, in verse 16, Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. Verse 17, after a very hard delivery. The midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid, you have another son. Verse 18, Rachel was about to die 
And with her last breath, she named the baby Benoi, which means son of sorrow or son of my sorrow. She named the boy Benoi, son of sorrow. Jacob stands there watching the love of his life slowly fade, Watch it, watching her grow weaker and weaker, watching as her strength fails progressively as she is dying. He hears her name this last son, Benoi, son of sorrow. Jacob has learned a few things about identity by now. Come on, I want you to get this. Jacob has learned a few things about identity now. And within his heart is this great emotion that goes some version of this. Rachel, I love you. I loved you more than anything else in my life, Rachel. I worked 14 years for your hand in marriage. Rachel, I loved you as I've never loved anyone else. I've loved you so much that it's produced a dysfunctional family. But I could not help myself, Rachel. I loved you. I loved you. I loved you. You could not give me the sons that your sister did, but I loved you. I tried to make up for it, Rachel. I loved you with everything I had. But I can't let you name this boy son of sorrow, Rachel. Because I've learned something about the power of identity. And I'm not going to let you put on this boy what was put on me when I was a boy. You see, Rachel, my whole life I've lived in the shadow of a label. My whole life I've lived in the pain of everybody seeing me as a trickster, as a heel grabber, as someone who would steal the vitality of my brother and take what was his. I've lived it out. And if there's one thing I've learned, my love identity matters who I let myself think I am matters what I settle for in my identity matters Rachel and I can't let you curse your son with a name like son of my sorrow so Rachel I love you but I've got to change that boy's name and the Bible says, verse 18, the boy's father, however, called him Benjamin, not son of my sorrow, but son of my right hand. I love you, Rachel, but you can't put a label like that on my son. If there's one thing I've learned pursuing the presence of God, it's that identity matters. He's not going to be the son of sorrow. He's going to be the son of my right hand. And so Rachel died and is buried on the way to Ephraim, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave. And it can be seen to this day. I love you, Rachel, but I've learned something about identity. And we're not going to call Benjamin a son of sorrow. We're going to call him a son of our right hand. Those of you hearing me, let me make an appeal to you, a spiritual appeal to you. 
Don't let this world give you your identity. Who does God say you are? Because if you can identify yourself through who God says you are, you will step into the place of divine blessing. Do you see? If you will let God say who you are, you will stand in the place of divine adoption. If you'll let God say who you are, you will stand in a place of divine favor. You see, favor isn't simply about money or cars or houses or yachts or how many Twitter followers you have or how many little people liked your video on TikTok. None of that stuff matters much. Who does God say you are? Because everything you can do, every change you can make, every meaningful choice you can live out, it's all going to be defined. It's all going to be established. It's all going to be found not on who the world says you are the world's not impressed with you they're too busy competing with you who does God say you are and God says you are healed and God says you are whole and God says you are beautiful and God says you have value and God says you are loved and God says you're not a mess up and God says you're not simply the result of mistakes and God says you're not simply doomed to live out the errors of your family or doomed to stand in the way of your parents God says you're mine and more God says he is yours let God set your identity Lord Jesus I'm praying for every single one who is hearing this today let it strike home in their spirit with the voice of a mighty wind that just smites them and they can see how so often they're feeling trapped in temptation and error and sin is a result of an old identity that they've allowed their failures to place on them. When you stand with open arms saying, I am yours and you are mine, giving us your name, washing the old identity, the old identifiers away and making us new in Christ Jesus. And we stand here today with a chance to be identified as yours to become a part of the divine household to live with blessing upon us but not for the sake of us but that through us all the nations all the peoples all the tribes all the kindreds of the world would be blessed let it happen in my life let it happen in my family let it happen in my children let it happen in all the families of first church let it happen through our to our community let it happen to our city lord don't let the kingdom of god be hid here on earth but let your people live it out day by day prayer by prayer choice by choice let us live out your kingdom that your name would be exalted and in that exaltation you would draw all men unto yourself in jesus name we pray where you're sitting right now bask for a moment in the presence of god our worship team is going to help you create that atmosphere you can sing along you can sit there quietly let's take some time in the presence of god right now thank you for listening to first church charlotte if this podcast has blessed you please rate it with four or five stars by doing so you will help others find our free podcast and bless them if you're in the charlotte north carolina area Come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.